This is Dojo Live, Tech Without Borders, stories that bring us together. Hi, everyone. This is Tulio Sergusa with Dojo Live. Today is Tuesday, March 1st, 2022. I'm broadcasting from Southern California. And joining me is Kim Lantis in Hermosillo, Mexico. Hi, Kim. Welcome back. Hey, Tulio. Thank you. New month, new show. We have. I cannot believe v- it's March already. I know, right? We have V. Fribert's Hauser, who is the CEO and co founder <laughs> of Home Odds. Did I say that right? So which part? Oh. <laughs> Homads. 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 It's like nomads with an H. Oh, Homads. Yeah, like there it. you go. <laughs> All right. Well, welcome to the show. Uh, we're, we're glad to have you here. We're going to be talking about remote work and rentals and like, well, how do those two go together? But we're going to talk about that and put them all together. Uh, but before we do, let's get to know our guests a little bit. Uh, v, if you could uh, please introduce yourself. Tell us a little bit about yourself. And then we'll talk about home ads. Yeah, for sure. Um, so I, I jokingly say that I should not ever have gotten into entrepreneurship. I, I actually do believe that the vision or dream of entrepreneurship is sometimes sold a little irresponsibly. And I may have been the naive one to jump into that. <laughs> um, but I actually have always had a pretty entrepreneurial spirit, um, like spirit. My mom is a, or both my parents are refugees from Vietnam, but she actually started her own um, alterations shop and then got us all through college. And, you know, so I watched a lot of that growing up. Um, so I did a whole bunch of that, did um, a lot of video work, actually. So created commercials, things like that. And then um, got into when everyone else was just starting to get into the short-term rental space and said, you know, I really just don't like doing this. And so that's why I had started Home Ads was I wanted a different solution for that. Um, So pretty interesting entrepreneurial spirit because it it really wasn't um, where I intended to go. But I love it now. Nice. I read a quote this morning that says, entrepreneurs give up income for freedom whereas employees give up freedom for income very appropriately so right so okay let's talk about home ads Uh, what gave birth to this idea what do you guys do what was like the aha we got to do this Uh, tell us a little bit about that yeah for sure so it you know everyone always says you create something because you have your it's your own pain point and that was exactly where I was at. I, I liked the, you know, being able to travel, go to a lot of people's homes and be able to explore within that aspect. And so then I said, well, I could do that with my own property. I started getting into investment properties um, at that time. And I am just someone that really loves to do everything legally correct because I just don't want it to you know, bite me in the ass afterwards and then be like, oh gosh, I wish I had, you know, done this and I had scaled this so big. Right. And so I said, I went in and looked at the legalities of it. And I was like, Hey, you can not be a short-term rental if you do monthly. And I was already getting tired of the resets and um, the profit margin just wasn't that great for me at that time. 
And so I said, well, what if I could just do monthly rentals? I'll just do it off of, you know, one of the booking platforms. And I kept on searching. I was like, why is not anyone doing this? What I realized, though, was I had a very unique experience. And this is kind of the experience that everyone had once COVID hit is I had the experience of being a digital nomad because I worked in video before. I managed a lot of video editors, which meant I needed a laptop and a hard drive and I could be anywhere. So I backpacked Europe for three months and lived in hostels. This is back like 10-ish years, maybe 15 years ago, where I could stay in a hostel and be comfortable. Um, but that's all I had to do was have those things and I could communicate with everyone. I could look at all their project files and be fine. And so as I was traveling, I was like, man, it'd be great if I could just stay in one place, right? Like not too many housing options at that time allowed you to stay for a month that, because you kind of get into the resident side of things, which is difficult if you're in another country too. And so that was the mentality I came in with was what about all those people that need that? I had absolutely no idea what market timing meant. And this is where I kind of jokingly say the naive part of you as entrepreneurs, like you, you really don't know a lot about entrepreneurship and what makes it successful. It's not just hard work, right? Like my parents push work hard and you'll do great in life, but it's not just hard work. It's, it's market timing, it's your team, it's access. Um, there's a lot there. And so I didn't realize until around COVID that, oh, this is what they mean by market timing. And in your case, it was the perfect market timing. <laughs> Maybe perfect. I would say perfect would have been if it wasn't so long, right? Like there, because there are so many companies that were just like us that had raised so much more money and they died because, well, I mean, obviously not, but the company died. And because of timing, you know, when you take on VC funding, you, you only have a certain amount of runway we were bootstrapped for the most part. And so we were able to really adapt to, you know, our burn rate and then saying, hey, hey, let's hold off. Like we were really creative in how we could stay alive, um, which I think, you know, not a lot of companies could do. And then probably not a lot of teams would probably put up with. Um, but our team was is pretty unique in the motivations and why we were all doing it. You know, entrepreneurs and actors have something in common. When you have an overnight success, no one uh, thinks about the sweat, blood, and tears and the years that it took to get to that overnight success. It's pretty amazing. A lot of respect. Definitely understand the struggle. The struggle is real for entrepreneurs. <laughs> so yes. let's uh, let's go into the topic and see what we can learn today and uh, what we can unpack because we're very curious to get into it and, uh, and uh, glean everything we can from you. So, Kim, if you could please kick that off, that'd be great. Yeah, sure. Thank you. Thank you, V, once again, for being here with us, to Leo, <coughs> excuse me, as well. V, the topic that you chose today is monthly rentals and remote work, specifically how a pandemic shifted the future of living. So all of us have, I'm living it right now, my poor internet connection is probably proof, right, <laughs> that uh, COVID has really shifted this idea of working from home, remote work, really took over and it looks like it's sort of here to stay, right? But aside from the remote work aspect, what has the pandemic shifted? Because what I'm hearing is also this sort of temporary 
nature, right? Specifically monthly rentals. So, so talk into that shift exactly. What are you referring to, please? Yeah. So whenever I, I talk about, you know, the shift that the pandemic has, has really made for people who are doing monthly rentals, it's because, so before the pandemic, it was always um, traveling nurses, traveling scholars, you know, medical students, things like that, where it was very contract work and very strictly, this is what we're doing and this is why we're living here, right? Um, there wasn't that recreational aspect of what digital nomads typically had thought of, right? It was only a select few who are like writers or were able to create some sort of lifestyle that allowed them to have just an internet connection and then a laptop. But I think the, the reason why that shift mattered is because if you're a writer, let's say, you don't really need to be in an office. That expectation was very much like a, hey, as long as you get your work done kind of thing, right? But for most of everyone else, large employers really expected you to be in the office and professional was a different, you know, mindset. Now, you know, we were joking around earlier about like, you know, a dog, or dogs barking or like if your kids come running in or earlier a lawnmower, you know, like those things would not have been acceptable pre-pandemic. And that's why, because it was embarrassing as employers, right? But when we all had to do it, it forced employers to realize like this is kind of natural um, and what's expected. And so when people had ease of that, then they thought, you know, oh, okay, we're at home and I could be anywhere and that's great. Oh, and then the kids are, you know, off for summer or maybe, you know, they're just doing remote. Then people started thinking, well, if I don't have to be here, could I be at a beach? Could I be in West Hollywood in a nice home? Like they started thinking really creatively of where they could still work, um, but enjoy where they live. Thank you. That's great. Um, so what about, what do you think it is that's attractive about this very quick paced temporary nature and how, let's say, mm -hmm. sustainable is that really for the long yeah. term? Or is, is that exactly the reason why it's sustainable? Because it's not meant to be long term. Yeah. So it is interesting is because, you know, when you go from short-term rentals to medium-term rentals, we call our monthly rentals, right? Um, it's a really different mindset. So most people are thinking like, oh, okay, short-term rental, I'm going to go for the weekend and have a weekend trip and I'm going to go back home. Um, whenever you have monthly rentals, it becomes more about living. So what you expect mm -hmm. and the amenities are different. You don't care about a hot tub, but you care about grocery stores, right? Like you care about what's around you. And that was really the beauty of what I liked about Homeads and kind of why I sold the city of Austin at the time was like, I, I introduced myself at the very beginning. I was like, hey, we're not like the short term rentals. We're not bringing in tourists. We're bringing in people who actually want to live here. Right. And that was actually right. what a lot of people were too, where they wanted to test out areas. So what COVID is kind of nice is everyone, the, the number one reason why anyone chose a home was proximity to work didn't matter on anything else. It was always they dreaded having to go into work and commuting because they have to do that every day. And then when COVID hit, they're like, wait, I, I don't have to. So what's now my dream vision of what home means, right? And so being able to not only find a different permanent home, but then people started realizing like, I could also live anywhere. 
So there are a lot more people who actually don't have like a permit. Maybe they illegally have a homestead, right? But they, they can float, you know, anywhere if they have that lifestyle. But it's a very deliberate lifestyle. Like I know a few mm-hmm. homads hosts who have actually started doing that where they have a lot of properties. And they're just like, you know, I can, I'm just going to live in Fort Lauderdale this month. And then I'm going to go to Eureka Springs next month um, because they have their properties, but then they also can use other properties too, right? So uh, I want to understand this a little bit more, right? Uh, and I'm going to use uh, my own personal example on this. When I moved from the Bay Area to LA, I was looking for a temporary home. I didn't know exactly how long it was going to take. I knew it would take maybe a couple of months, up to six months. And it was not an easy thing. Like you, Mm -hmm. you know, Airbnb doesn't really cater to that. It's more short term. Mm -hmm. Uh, And then agencies don't really cater to that. They're looking for long term. So, uh, you know, I ended up in Culver City for four months uh, in a house where someone was like an Airbnb that, uh, you know, I got fortunate, I guess, with a more long-term situation that happened to be in mm-hmm. Germany for the for the winter or whatever it was. But it's not an easy thing. And then VRBO is more for vacation, and you can get longer term. But again, they're not set up for these kinds of transient uh, lifestyle or people on the move kind of scenarios. Um, so did you guys create this specifically to cater to that? marketplace those consumers who are looking for you know they're maybe moving to a new location they don't know where they want to end up and they want to stay somewhere temporary for three to six months or like you said people who are traveling because that's their lifestyle how do you actually find homeowners that are willing to do that right you have some Mm -hmm. models that seem to work right you got the traditional rental model vrbo and airbnb so how do you now introduce this new concept and um, how well is that going? Yeah, for sure. So actually, before COVID happened, we worked, we, it's interesting, because we didn't actually build it for that market. Um, we built the monthly rental aspect and realized that was the market, right? It's kind of more of the product market fit side of it. Um, and it. we're like, oh, yeah. So actually, majority of people are just want to relocate and buy a home which was actually very interesting on our aspect because there are people like Home Depot who their main people or customers on the B2C side were first time home buyers or, you know, home buyers because they spent a lot of money within the first year of buying a home. So they were like, hey, can we identify, you know, new home buyers? And so that was an original idea of where we're getting at um, with them. And then COVID hits and it, we definitely had a lot more people come by to ours versus other short-term rental sites because it is different. So if you're a host doing short-term rentals, you think, hey, I can make a hundred, you know, maybe more a night. So if they're going to stay here, sorry, have a great day. Uh, if they're going to stay here for a whole month, then, you know, it's going to be three grand, but that's not reasonable typically in housing. And that was the hardest part. And so when we had early investors that kept on trying to say, well, how are you different from an Airbnb? We were trying to explain this, but what was hard was we were creating another market. And Mm -hmm. so why would you listen to a small startup about how this works? We only have data from our users, right? But we always knew our homeowners are really, really different. Um, The transition, what we always typically said is we would have hybrid homeowners. 
Like for instance, um, if you've ever been to Texas in August, it is the worst time to ever come here. It's like over a hundred most days. And so you I, I second that for Hermosillo. <laughs> <Yeah. laughs> so, you know, it's like, you're not getting a ton of short-term rentals. Um, and so you're, you're it's dry on those months. And if you can hybrid it, because you going from a lot, like an annual lease to a medium term rental is difficult because it's normally furnished, all those paid. But if you go short term rental, it's really easy to do that as long as you plan for it, right? Having fully the other direction, if they're primarily um, short term rentals, is also difficult. Is because if they don't block off, let's say November, and they get one short term rental, and that's it. You can't do a monthly rental because you have that one person. You're not going to ask them to move out for a day, right? So it is a very unique um, group of people who will do monthly rentals. And we also found an advantage in doing this is because of the regulation side. Um, mm. Most times, short-term rentals like Airbnb and VRBO, like for sure Airbnb, they San Francisco is their hometown, right? Like they really don't do a lot there is because of the regulations. Um, and then New York, I believe they're fully banned. There are certain areas that Santa Monica, they had a lot of restrictions too. Exactly. Um, and, but then they also were really not open to doing monthly rentals is because when you look at on the policy side, you're going from hotel, um, policies to now tenant representation right? right and so if you're you look at texas for instance it's it's a lot more um landlord friendly versus if you go to california and after i think like 27 days or something like that you're dealing with a lot bigger mess um honestly i think the messes are kind of the same <laughs> it's just which mess do you want and they already have the hotel side and like double down on that we don't deal with hotel things at all you don't need a permit you don't need anything you just do it like how you would normally do right. an annual lease, but shorter. Yeah, I mean, I could see in certain areas, especially rent control areas, you've had landlords mm -hmm. who try to work around that with these kinds of uh, longer term. That's one of the reasons some of these cities, uh, Airbnb and others, get in trouble. But um, so, if what else can I get? So I can find a property, and then I'm assuming if it's short term, can I rent furniture? Can I get? This, the refrigerator what other capabilities do you provide to the consumer through the the application to facilitate uh three or six months uh rental like this yeah so we m almost probably almost all of our listings are furnished all those paid it just doesn't make a lot of sense if you're you know if you're moving from la to austin like why would you even they say the the most stressful life event a person goes through is moving. And right. the only time moving is is worse than moving is if you get a divorce. And typically you get a divorce, you're probably moving too, right? So it's like, it is the worst event. And so if you are thinking of that as your, your customer, why would you put them through setting up utilities, get renting, you know, um, furniture, things like that. So we try to make it as easy as possible, as turnkey as possible, right? Is, hey, can I pay pay the first month, you know, figure that out. And then from there, everything is taken care of so you can breathe. Because that that was what we knew our users, when we talked to them, we knew everyone was just really stressed. They had so much right. decision fatigue of logistically, how do I do this? 
And the counter to that is like, they would just buy something immediately. But that was actually when they regretted it. It was like 87% of people um, were unhappy with they, where they originally relocated because they uh, didn't like where they lived. And so that was what we were hoping was like, well, what if they didn't have to do a full year lease or buy a home? What if they could just stay for two months and be like, do I really love this? Or do I love, you know, East Side better? Do I love in their city better? You know, those are options that we wanted yeah. people to have. No, I really love how this use case, I mean, when we first came on the show today, what I really did have in my mind was this this getaway, right? Like Airbnb, but the use case really is, I guess, a test drive, which I think yeah. is is awesome, right? You're not just not test driving the actual house, but test driving the city, the area, and then able to make better decisions about the decision-making and your platform, HOMADS, um, not only are you helping, I guess, the process of whatever the individual is looking for and what they're going through, but how do you bring that into your tech? Um, what does your platform look like? How does it function? And how are you making that, I guess, as user-friendly as possible for both, I yeah, guess, the, sure. the landlord as well as the renter? Yeah. So we've played around with a few ideas. I'll say we haven't solved this yet, right? <laughs> so we played around with a lot of ideas just because we knew that most people were using us because they wanted to move. And we also knew data was something that a lot of businesses wanted to know about our users too. And so we said, oh, okay, could we help with this? Um, but do it where it was like a win-win situation, right? That's always kind of how I want it to be um, when I do any business deals or create any business models. And so he said, well, what if we could give them the resources they needed in a way that was pretty easy um, for them and not like um, feeling like they had to make so many decisions? It was more of getting to know them. And then how could we then connect them to the resources that they needed, but have those resources know what's in their head so that they don't have to go back to, let's say, a realtor and say, OK, these are the things I like. This is what I don't like because. That was actually, uh, we did a lot of research with realtors and we said, okay, what is the hardest part and what makes realtors successful, right? And it really is if they have the EQ to realize like, what's, what's the biggest pain points? What are they hating? What are they loving? Um, because most people who go to a realtor don't know what they love or hate, right? That's why you go on so many house hunting things and then they gauge their reaction of these curtains or these floors or whatever, you know, all these things. And then, oh, the school and you, they start gauging like, you know, what's, what is more important? Education, you know, walkability, what are those things that's most important? But they're doing it all in their heads individually, mm -hmm. right? Is there a way for us to do that and just, you know, help the realtors elevate themselves a little bit more of, you know, yeah, it's great if they can learn it on their own, but what if we can help them too? And so that, that was the direction that we're going with that. Um, but ultimately, the, the biggest thing that we then decided was like, hey, let's build the marketplace first, like get enough supply, get enough, um, you know, really it was listings was it was hard initially, now is much easier. Because right, they're yeah, the, the inventory, the, right? It is. And inventory was harder for us before COVID because there, I didn't realize how expensive it would be to educate a whole 
group of people, right? A whole audience of, of hosts. And, you know, Airbnb helped us a lot is because they couldn't do short-term rentals for a long time. They went to monthly, which they are what a set, they've raised $7 billion, something along those lines, right? Like we couldn't afford to educate the way that they can. And so it really helped us out when they shifted to that, because then for us, the conversation to get a host on before could take, you know, 30 minutes to an hour even of just explaining what I'm explaining to you guys to now them being like, Oh yeah. I, okay. How do I do this then? You know, and that's it. Right. You know, uh, Kim, we had a Bodu on the show not too long ago, a company out of mm -hmm. Los Angeles. They, uh, facilitate ADUs, especially in California and Oregon, where it's uh, I still remember that one accessory dwelling like, unit, <laughs> alternative, <laughs> alternative, uh, whatever it's called. But I'm like, you guys should partner with a company like that because they're helping homeowners build basically fully functional dwellings in their backyard. There you go, have inventory available now. Yeah, um, but it's no, in California. <laughs> I know. All joking aside, <laughs> all, jo all joking aside, part of the process, like you said, you're educating landlords on how this works. Is this opening? How's this opening up new opportunities? I mean, there's some people who don't necessarily like renting out their space. Mm -hmm. They leave it for family or what have you, but they might be open to a two, three month scenario. Um, is it mostly? apartments that are you know basically full furnished apartments or could it be a room or a quarter inside of a home how does it work what's the minimum requirement for a landlord to participate yeah for sure um so really it it can be a room before covid two-thirds of our listings was actually a room it, then after COVID, though, it's been majority because, you know, obviously for safety measures, they don't want to share a space with someone. Right. Um, but that was ideally where it had started from. And we right. we don't limit it to only single family homes. Um, but the cities that we had targeted were typically growing second tier cities. So you think of like Atlanta, Tampa, New Orleans, Austin. Right. We weren't looking to capture New York City. Super expensive. Right. high regulations, all kinds of stuff. And we said, well, what if we could, you know, actually get the second tier cities, which were predominantly a lot of single family homes. And interestingly enough, the uh, cost for to acquire a customer is for Airbnb. I had talked with them a while back because we were like, oh, okay, let's figure out what they're doing. They're like, we're not touching monthly rentals forever, you know. Um, he said five years and actually, I think I realized it, like, I think they did, but I don't think they deliberately meant to, it was only because of COVID. Um, but he was like, it's not on our, our roadmap. Right. And, but he told me, he said, Hey, if you want like to do any type of acquisition or anything, and I honestly had no idea why I wanted to do a home at all. So I didn't even know. Right. Um, but he said it costs $7 for them to acquire an apartment versus it cost them $300 to acquire a single family home. Um, which makes mm. sense because you can't do, you know, a B2B to C play um, like you do with apartments where you just find three apartments with a ton of apartments um, within that, like units within that single family homes, you know, you find a host that has multiple like properties that's harder to, to actually find. What would be, uh, as we shift into talking about the culture of the company a little bit, what would be like a big win for you guys? A partnership with like a Zillow or Trulia? Is that something you guys are thinking about? It seems as though 
there might be a big, a bigger market out there that isn't aware that this is even possible. With partnerships, is that part of your roadmap, or are you guys going to go this on your own? What's your thinking so far? Yeah, there's uh, so partnerships are nice is because it wasn't always something that we could do. Um, I won't name since we aren't fully there on the partnership. We're still talking on it. Um, but it allows us, it's essentially being able to find housing that is similar to the single family home side, but mass produced, right? And um, they wanted to do more monthly rentals because they wanted it to be the try to buy, right? They're selling these as homes, but they also wanted people to be able to try it or if they're like living in the city, you know, for a moment. And so that really helps us a lot in, in the multitude of ways because when we went towards corporate housing for, in terms of getting renters in, right? It was really difficult is because they love that we're in neighborhoods and they're like, this is great. They don't have to do extended stay. They don't have to, you know, but what we couldn't do was guarantee the same experience because there are so many different homeowners, right? And so this is where these partnerships are starting to become much more valuable to us because we can sell to different people than who we could before. It takes us more to, I mean, I do understand why people don't like B2C because you need a lot of money to scale that. And unless you can do a B2B to C strategy, then, you know, you're kind of slow moving, which we had been for a while until COVID had started. And now we're able to have partnerships. Nice. Great. Well, congratulations. Um, as you're growing and as HomeAds is growing, how would you ex explain to others what your company culture is like? Um, what are you striving to build? Who are the type of people who you work with or you want to work with um, and who are you looking for? Yeah, for sure. Um, so it's kind of interesting is my reputation um, as a founder has always been that I could do a lot with very little. I don't know if that's like a really good thing. That scrappy. People, yeah, <laughs> scrappy is the way. And, and every, anyone that tells me they're like, you know, you're scrappy, you're scrappier than the scrappy entrepreneurs. Like they don't know how you do it, right? And um, mainly it's because I like to find motivations where it's always aligned. I talked earlier about a win-win situation, right? Like um, a common question I always ask our team members is, hey, what do you, you know, what do you want to be doing whenever in five years, right? Like what are your goals personally and work-wise? Because like if you told me, hey, I want to be financially independent, you know, when I'm 32 and you're you know, working at a startup, I probably can't guarantee that. But if you want to be a CTO at a, another company one day, I could do that because you needed the experience, right? And for me, I can then be like, oh, okay, so I know I'm fulfilling something for you. Even if you aren't staying with us in five years, you're still going towards that goal, right? And so there's no like reason of, oh God, I wasted my time doing this and I didn't get to it. I want to support them in their goals. Well, at the same time, they know that, hey, I, I may not have the budget, but I can really, really help on the side, right? Like that was initially how we had started Homeads, was really off these mindsets of like, hey, what's a good fit? What can I do? And a lot of what that ends up doing is it attracted a lot of, a lot of people who were first-time entrepreneurs, um, first-time, you know, in the startup but really wanted to be more involved in startups, but they didn't have the experience, right? Like we had one that was an intern for us 
um, led the marketing side and then we let him explore everything. He was like, you know what? I want to try the data side. And then he comes back. He's like, no, I do not want to do that. And then he ended up doing product with us and ended up being in product at Facebook, right? We had another person that was transitioning to data science, but didn't mm-hmm. have the work experience. And it ended up going to Charles Schwab after us. So it's like, wow. you know, of course I want them long-term, but there, there are things that are difficult when you're bootstrapped and you're like, you know, I can't compete with Facebook or Charles Schwab, but I got really amazing experience from, from you that you could, you know, that I couldn't afford back then. And I helped you get to where you wanted to be too. So it's kind of how- Yeah, it's really interesting that your mindset, your scrappiness actually lines very closely to what your business is doing, right? You're allowing people to test drive and find what you can do, where you want to go, where you want to be. And, and I, I just can't help but notice that yeah. how that parallels. It's really quite beautiful. <laughs> it, it also aligns with what a lot of uh, career coaches or even life coaches will tell people, you know, if you're either growing and learning mm-hmm. or getting paid, mm-hmm. if you're not growing and learning, make sure you get paid. Uh, if you can yeah. have both, awesome, right? Stay with that company forever. So uh, yeah. it sounds as though you're looking for people that want to grow and learn and uh, eventually get paid uh, in terms of monetizing that experience, which is still valuable experience. For those young young ones watching, this is what it takes. <laughs> you go and you build your experience somewhere and then you monetize it later. If you're trying to get rich yeah. on the first experience, you're going to be disillusioned. It doesn't work that way. So congratulations. That's a very good strategy. We, we wish you a lot of continued success. We're up on time. We're over time. It always happens like that, just as we're getting more interested in learning more. But we wish you a lot of continued success. Thanks for being with us today. We'll have to keep up with uh, your progress. We, this has potential for a lot of, a lot of legs in the future and, and near term as well. So let's see how it goes. Uh, thanks again for being with us. Stay with us as we go off the air in just a second. Kim, what have we got coming up for the rest of the week? Sure. Thank you. Um, we have two more shows this week, both of them at our 12 o'clock Pacific slot. Tomorrow we'll be speaking with Wes Windler of Woven. Um, their product is one about the technical interview. I do not have the topic quite yet, but it should be interesting. And then on Thursday, we're going to be speaking with Arun Tungari, the CEO at Notable, about private cellular networks and specifically how private LTE and 5G networks are disrupting the wireless industry status quo. So don't miss it. See you tomorrow at Dojo Live, 12 o'clock Pacific. Thank you, Vi, for being here and have a good one. Thank Great you. to speak with you, V. Take care, everybody. Check out past episodes, transcripts, blogs, and more on our website, dojo.nearsoft.com.